This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Thursday, February 29th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite sci-fi sequels. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, full disclosure, this episode might be a little chaotic. Um, I had several plans for a themed Leap Day episode today, by the way. Happy Leap Day, Ryan. Uh, every single one of my plans ended up falling through. So I was really scrambling to come up with something at the very last minute to to do here for the podcast today. And you suggested that we talk about some of our favorite sci-fi sequels in honor of Dune Part 2, which opens technically tonight. Uh, and since that movie actually does seem, you know, like big enough to justify multiple episodes about it, or, or at least like episodes that are ostensibly related to it. That sounds like a pretty good idea. So uh, yeah, this is going to be kind of a free flowing conversation. I think a little bit of uh, v- very little structure here, but let's try to, um, j- I don't know, just run through some of our favorite sci-fi sequels in honor of Dune 2 and talk about uh, why we like them so much. So why don't you kick things off? What is one that you wanted to talk about first? For sure. Uh, I will just say part of the reason that I suggested this is that um for anyone who I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to read anything. I'm going to go see Dune 2. I don't want anything spoiled. You know, people want to go in fresh for this movie. But a lot of the early reactions and critical praise has been like among the best sci-fi sequels ever made. So, you know, like it is very effusive, the praise. Mm-hmm. So I just thought like, hey, let's, you know. So I'm not necessarily saying these are like the best. I mean, one I'm going to talk about is heralded that way. But 
um, you know, just just ones that we love. And so I guess I'll talk about one that uh, let's start with 10 Cloverfield Lane, shall we? Um, Sure. Uh, this is a movie that, I mean, I love the original Cloverfield. It's one of my favorite movie going experiences of all time. I think you can make an argument. It's maybe the best found footage movie ever made. Uh, you can, I don't know that you'd win that argument, but you could make it. Um, (laughs) but, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane then arrives as a complete surprise. The trailer drops, I believe with Michael Bay's 13 hours, like mere weeks before the movie hits theaters. And, you know, so rarely do you get that surprised by something that big. Um, and not only was it a surprise, but the movie was so radically different than the original Cloverfield, yet delivered the goods so hard. Uh, it, it, I I stand by, I believe John Goodman not only should have been nominated for a Best Supporting Actor nomination that year, I believe he should have won a Best Supporting Actor that year. Uh, for that performance in that movie. And it is a it is a movie I love. It is the kind of movie I love. It's a movie I hold very near and dear and close to my heart. Yeah, Goodman is incredible in that movie. And um, like, what an arrival for Dan Trachtenberg as a, yeah. a feature director, you know? Like, he's become... Uh, I think he's just like one of the smartest guys. We've talked about him before. I've interviewed him a few times before. He's like very close friends with Peter Serretta, who uh, is no longer on this podcast anymore. But like he has a sort of a close relationship with Slash Film, I I guess I would say. Um, So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. I've met him in person, really nice guy and all that. But like he he does strike me as one of the smarter um, directors in Hollywood right now because he had so many projects thrown his way in the aftermath of this movie. And he focused so much on quality. And I think he's one of those guys who knows that his legacy is going to be the movies that he leaves behind, um, aside from family and all that, you know, human stuff. Um, and he doesn't want to just attach his name to any old franchise project or whatever that that Hollywood throws his way. Um, he really cares. And you can tell from 10 Cloverfield Lane on the construction of that movie, the, the care that went into every aspect of making it. Um, you know, you can just feel that passion on the screen. So, uh, yeah, this is a, a terrific choice. Um, I, I want to yeah, ask and, you about the. Oh, well, go ahead. I was just going to say he was close to like he was very close to making Bumblebee, like very close. And then I believe, you know, and then he. But yeah, to your point, he waits for the right thing, you know. And I think I remember the one, there's one thing I'll never forget. He was on a podcast around the time 10 Cloverfield Lane was coming out and it's just like one example of why that movie kicks so much ass like so there's the big car accident in the beginning that mary elizabeth winstead's character gets in and they originally had this big you know car crash plan and all this stuff and then it didn't really work out and i remember him saying like so what we did is we just literally put a camera in the car and shook the camera around and then that looked better anyway and like just (laughs) these like low-tech ways of being able to do these things and you know ostensibly just taking like a a script that could have just been a isolated thriller and then making it a Cloverfield movie, but making it work so well. I don't know. I mean, and only having like really three performances to anchor that entire movie. It's just, Mm -hmm. I mean, you talk about like a sequel and a sequel that like totally goes in a completely different direction. I mean, just, you know, so good and just the complete opposite of what we would end up getting with the Cloverfield paradox a little later. Yes. Yeah. Um, Last thing I want to ask you about the end of 10 Cloverfield Lane. So if anybody for some reason has not seen this movie, first of all, go check it out. It's a really, really great movie and you don't have to see the first movie. It's very much like a standalone thing. Um, Okay. So we're going to spoil the end now. So last warning to listeners, this movie came out in 2016, I think. So it's been (laughs) several years at this point. Uh, What did you make of the idea that when she gets out, 
there's, you know, the, the whole like alien thing of like these ships flying around and like that whole deal. Cause I feel like that was like a, a relatively divisive um, ending at the time. Yeah. I mean, it was cause I think like people were watching like an isolated thriller and at some point it has to become a Cloverfield movie. And that's when it becomes a Cloverfield movie. It's sort of like we talked about uh, during the 50 best movie moments podcast a little bit. We talked about like, knock at the cabin really is like, oh, wow, it's actually the apocalypse. And I think the thing with like 10 Cloverfield Lane is John Goodman's characters. Like there's the paranoia and all this stuff. And and yeah, it's interesting. Like if it's just paranoia and if it's just this and if it's just that, but then like she gets outside and it's like, oh my God, like he was right, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think for me, it's like, yeah, they, they called it a Cloverfield movie. I'd be a little upset if there wasn't some Cloverfield in it to some degree. Um, yes. And I do, I do understand people like people that were watching that movie on its own merits and, and sort of being like the third act feels a little disconnected from the rest of it. But I also think the rest of it is inside where the aliens aren't, you yeah. know, and then you're outside <laughs> where the aliens are. It's going to feel disconnected. Um, so like, I don't know, I've, I've never, and look, we've talked a lot about on this podcast. I am an entertainment uh, first movie watcher i am a popcorn movie junkie of course i love this this is right in my alleyway so oh, well speaking of popcorn movies one of the best popcorn movies of all time is the first one that i want to talk about very briefly which is terminator 2 judgment day which i mean you know a lot of the movies that i think we're going to talk about on today's episode of the show are like very very well covered and like you know there's been so much written and said about them that it you know we're probably not going to add much new to the conversation but t2 you know one of the things that i think any great sequel can do is to find a really entertaining way to deliver something that isn't just a rehash of the original thing. And the best ones provide, you know, a twist or a shift or an escalation that raises the emotional stakes instead of just being bigger for bigger sake, which a lot of sequels do. Um, And I think T2 is a great example of that, like switching things up and making Schwarzenegger the hero is like a, an all timer, terrific decision and then having him connect with john connor provides that um that sort of emotional through line that actually makes the audience invest in what's going on and what happens to these characters so by the time you know you get to that moment where uh schwarzenegger does that sort of like cheesy thumbs up kind of thing that disappears in that molten lava substance at the end you actually do feel what a loss that is for the john connor character so um you know let alone like the uh the innovations and stuff with CG that's been like well covered and all that. Yeah. And and um, also like you're talking about a movie that came out even like pre Jurassic park and that still, I mean, I have the 4k of it and, and you pop it in now and it like, it's still, I would argue looks better than so much. I mean, it's holds up when you talk about a movie that holds up, this movie holds up and yeah, yeah, I mean, and I, I will just say for me, like, one of my favorite shots in any movie all time in terms it's not an original thought, but the shot where Schwarzenegger's walking down the hallway coming across John Connor and he whips the shotgun out of the rose box. Like that is <laughs> the coolest looking thing. You talk about stuff that just looks cool. It's the coolest thing. It's like the cool every time I see it, I'm like it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like I've no I, I don't know. It's just it's so like it's so on the nose, but it's so rad. And and yeah, I don't know. Also, I don't I haven't been able to find it for years, but someone at one point was making a lot of hay on YouTube by re-editing uh like movie trailers to seem like a completely different genre. And someone oh, yeah, did yeah. 
someone did one as T2, but as like a romantic comedy or like a romance movie between the T-800 and John Connor. And it was set to like <laughs> Iris by the Google Dolls. And it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And I can't find it anymore. But if, if you feel like digging around the Internet for, for a good laugh, that, that by all means, go look for that. <laughs> Excellent. OK, so let's take a quick break. And then we have four more sci-fi sequels that we want to talk about after that. All right. So what's the next one you want to mention here, Ryan? Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to save my most interesting one for last. So I will go with like sort of the the counterpoint to your Terminator 2. And let's talk about aliens for a second. Um, ah, another Jimmy Cameron. Yeah. And look, the, the, the king of sequels, one of the only reasons I had any hope that I would enjoy Avatar 2 at all. I will not talk about Avatar 2 more on this podcast <laughs> because I got a lot of people mad at me last time I did. Anyway, um. Uh, look, I, I, there's nothing I can say about aliens that hasn't been said before, but, but, um, I mean, you talk about the simplest way to up the stakes of one of the all time great movies, alien. Hey, what if there was more than one of them? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, come on. I, it's, it's, it's for as much as Ridley Scott's alien is a perfect movie. And as much as it is a perfect, like isolated slow burn horror sci-fi film aliens is, action horror perfected it is some of the best practical creature effects ever put to film some of the best i would say just characters period in any movies of any kind uh, uh i would put them up against anyone like this is where ripley becomes ripley newt maybe one of the best child characters and child performances ever some of the most quotable lines the the queen alien is still maybe the best looking practical effect i have ever seen in my life it it is unreal i mean you you talk about a sequel that had so much to live up to and in some ways excels past its predecessor. Mm -hmm. I just it's you, you talk about a tall bar and that's why every alien movie since has had a very difficult time because you're measured against argu arguable perfection. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So I guess one of the things I would I, when you're going to see Dune 2 this weekend and you start going to yourself. Is one of the best sci-fi sequels ever made. These are movies you need to think about when you talk about that. Is it T2 level? Is it Aliens level? Because these are some of the best. So is it yeah. on that level? And that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Um, you've heard the uh, the alien, uh, the aliens with the dollar sign story, right? From it's James the, it's the best. It's the best story about any movie <laughs> ever. Uh, if, so if I thought this was, yeah, yeah, I'll tell it real, real quick. I thought this yeah. was apocryphal. I thought this was one of those things that was just basically like an urban legend or something. And like, because it sounds almost too good to be true. But for anybody who doesn't know the story, I'll just tell it really quickly. Uh, James Cameron, by the way, has con has actually confirmed this, like gone on the record. So I'm going to read a quote from him. Uh, he said, I was in a meeting with the studio head and the executive producers, and I turned my script over. And on the blank side of the last page, I wrote alien. Then I drew an S on the end. Then I drew two vertical lines through the S and held it up to show them. So he basically just turned it into a dollar sign. And he said, uh, maybe it was just Pavl Pavlovian conditioning when they saw the dollar sign connected closely to the word alien, or maybe it was the confidence I projected, but they said yes. So, uh, I mean, yeah, what is just a killer pitch. Yeah, they greenlit um, it in the room. I think, I don't remember the budget, but they essentially like, with a word on a piece of paper and a dollar sign gave him money to make it, uh, yeah, which unreal. is the, just so badass. <laughs> Yeah, really awesome stuff there. Uh, just a, a legend, James Cameron. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, the next one I want to mention real quick is uh, Star Trek II, The, Wrath, the Wrath of Khan. Um, for me, this is just a gigantic step up between this and the first movie. Um, there is no comparison. 
There is yeah. no comparison. Uh, it focuses much more on Captain Kirk, which I always think is a good thing, and and really picks up the pace significantly from its predecessor, which, yes, is just as slow and methodical as its reputation suggests. And this movie is very much not that. Like the dynamic between Kirk and Khan is really exciting. The whole movie feels much more lively and alive and fast paced and sort of, um, you know, much more modern in that way. Performance is everything. Everything. Like, yeah. What's your relationship to the Star Trek movies, if I may ask? Well, I, I watched all of the uh, movies. Jeez, it was probably 15 years ago at this point, like one time all the way through. Um, and I don't, I, I'd never really watched the original series. Um, I think I, I saw the J.J. Abrams movies, like the, the Kelvin verse movies and stuff as they were coming out. And I guess it was like probably before it must have been well before um, Star Trek Beyond, but maybe around the time of uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, um, maybe like a little bit before that. But yeah, I, I was like I saw the 2009 Star Trek and was like, oh, what's this? This is my like entrance into this world. I never really grew up watching Star Trek or anything. The Abrams thing certainly did its job in sort of like introducing me to those characters in that world. And then uh, my roommate at the time was really into Star Trek. And so we just watched all of the movies all the way through. And I was like, not, I was not as bored to death with the first movie as I thought it was going to be, because it actually gets into like some pretty interesting philosophical stuff. And like the uh, reveal of V'ger and all of that, I found like fairly interesting. It's just really, really slow. Um, and Wrath of Khan is just like, it felt like, you know, somebody turned the lights on in the room or something like that. You know, it just <laughs> felt like, oh my God, like this is this is what this franchise can be kind of thing. So yeah, because uh, I, I did them all last year. Me and one of my best friends back home in Arizona, we do a movie night every week and, and we, we tend to do, we've done a lot of franchise and we're like, well, let's, let's watch the Star Trek movies. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do that. And, uh, and I won't, um, irritate star trek fans here but i i had a pretty tough relationship with these movies going through all of them and wrath of khan for all of my frustration even with a lot of these movies that people love lives up to every ounce of its reputation wrath of khan is awesome yeah. and uh yeah there, there there were two throughout that run that to me were like lived up to their reputation if not exceeded them and the other one was star trek first contact uh but but yeah like the, the wrath of khan is one of those movies that is held up for a reason and especially coming off of the boring slog i will go much further than you will about star trek the motion picture um uh, coming off that boring slog of a movie to this is one of the biggest jumps from movie to sequel i think ever yeah i think that's fair to say and then speaking of like the emotionality and stuff you know in certain terms of like uh raising the the stakes um on an emotional level i feel like the watching spock go from you know the sort of purely logical kind of character that he is in the motion picture to basically sacrificing his life for his friends at the end of two in that sort of like powerful moment with him and the and, and kirk on opposite sides of the glass um is just like a really satisfying emotional payoff too so uh, it's not just the sort of like fast-paced action adventure kind of like almost like um uh battleship style um warfare and things like that that you get in the movie there's also yeah there's a uh, lot of emotional beats and it actually i think that's also part of it i liked search for spock more than a lot of people seem to like search for spock and i think part of that is like the way that that is a response to what happens in wrath of khan mm -hmm. um, yeah it's almost know. like wrath of khan starts a mini trilogy within the the larger franchise or something yeah. like yeah so uh the whole um 
what's it called? Like the Genesis project or something like that, I think is, is the name of it where like they were terraforming planets or something like that. Yep. So uh, anyway, yeah, interesting stuff there. Uh, if you've never seen Wrath of Khan, uh, once again, I think you can just basically dive in, like you get the character archetypes. You've probably absorbed enough through pop culture osmosis to not have to, um, <laughs> to sit through the motion picture. Yeah, to understand. Nothing about the motion picture informs what comes. Cause I think even Paramount knew like, okay, we got to sort of do something different here. And, and yeah. yeah, so you, I, I, if I'd give any advice to anyone diving into these movies, it would just be, please don't watch them. Like the motion picture does, it's got its defenders. I, I am not one of them. I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, Okay, so speaking of defending uh, a sci-fi project here, what's the next thing you want to mention, Ryan? Yeah, this has kind of become one of like, you know, everyone, you know, you sort of over time, I guess, particularly if you do this as like professionally, you sort of some movies become sort of your movies. They're movies you champion, you love that you very specifically take some ownership of. Mm -hmm. um, this is, has become one of those movies for me. And same thing, my, my, me and my buddy Aaron, uh, shout out to uh, Mr. Uh, A.M. Rogers, who, my former podcast host. Um, we do, uh, uh, you know, these movie nights and and we did all of the Planet of the Apes movies. And and I love the original and I'd seen some of the sequels and then, but I hadn't seen them all. And, and you get to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is the fourth movie. Um, it's not one I'd ever heard people talk about very much. And that bothers me so much because, and I'm not exaggerating i'm not trying to over inflate this i believe it is one of the best the best most underrated sci-fi sequels ever made uh i think conquest of the planet of the apes is brilliant i think the journey that it takes you on it's almost a bait and switch which i'll explain in a second but like it is so good and we'll get into a little bit of why it's complicated in a second but i i don't know i just i can't say enough good things about this movie. I have like a metal poster of it in my living room. Like I, I like I would build a shrine to this movie. I love this movie so much. It was one of those movies that I watched for the first time. And then you, the second it's over, you're like, I am in love with this. This is one of my new favorite movies. Like it was instant. I loved it so much. Um, I don't know if you've <laughs> so, seen this one. Do you have any relationship to this one, Ben? I don't to this one. I've seen, uh, I saw the Tim Burton one, uh, regrettably. I saw the new trilogy. Um, and then I saw the very first Planet of the Apes movies. And that's that's all I've seen so far. So I guess, is this similar to the movies that we were talking about before, where like you can just jump straight into Conquest and not really need to know a lot beforehand? Or is this, does kind this of, one like require? I, I, do, I, do think, I do think the first four movies as a whole, which would be Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and then Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Like that as a as a quartet of movies is very rewarding to watch all together because the original is, it goes without saying, one of the best, forget sci-fi, just one of the best movies ever made. And then and then uh, as, uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is, if we ever did a conversation about bonkers sequels, like, like, <laughs> like that, you know, like took a big swing, uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is wild. Um, and then uh, Escape is is interesting. It's kind of campy and fun, but then it leads to a dark place, and and Conquest sort of picks up in that dark place years later. It does sort of stand on its own, but the very short uh, pitch for it is that Caesar, the child uh, who was abandoned by his parents' death at the end of Escape, is uh, thought to be dead, and then and then you find out he's been raised by like a, a circus uh, a runner. And Caesar is very intelligent and can talk. And, and there's it's like this dystopian future where a man has sort of divided into all these police states. And 
um, apes are just enslaved and none of them can talk or anything yet. And and the, the Matt Reeves trilogy borrows heavily from this movie. And and Caesar, uh, uh, played by Roddy McDowell, it kind of infiltrates these. And, and it ends up becoming like it starts as like this sort of like campy, cheap, you know, sequel with some interesting ideas. And then in the third act, it becomes like profound and dark and gritty and crazy and amazing and just like with one of the best endings and one of the best monologues I have ever seen in a movie. However, uh, the the original theatrical release dampened all that down a lot, and I did not know this till later. So the ending was changed, a lot of blood and stuff was removed, and then when I popped in the Blu-ray that I bought, there was like a I think it was billed as like a producer's cut or just the regular cut, and I was like, me and my buddy were like, screw it, let's watch the the producer's cut or whatever it's called. And I implore anyone who seeks out this movie, and this gets tricky in the age of streaming, but please seek out that extended or I think unrated version, whatever they call it, uh, because that the ending of that movie, the ending of that cut, which was that the original vision was, is just like sublime. And mm. the other version still works, but but I think that that uncut version is specifically the masterpiece much in the way that like you know blade runner the final cut is sort of the masterpiece version of, of that movie i don't know that i yeah. put it quite so far but like uh yeah it is just and again that's tricky i don't know how to recommend that in the streaming era i don't know if you can just go rent that specific version but i know the blu-rays that are available you can you can get the the extended cut and it is just there's this monologue that that roddy mcdowell delivers at the end of that movie that like i i kid you not i've seen it two or three times now and and you think maybe that first time is a fluke. You think like, okay, maybe it's not as good. And the last time I watched it, like goosebumps over every inch of my body. Like it is so good. Wow. Um, so please, I, I think I imagine this is by far the least seen movie we're going to talk about. I am begging people to seek this one out. Okay, well, I'm glad you uh, said to seek out that version of it because I definitely would not have known that. I would just yeah, I want to make that clear. It is tricky, but yeah, please, please I want to make that clear to any viewers. Please, if you can, seek out that version. And like, I would just want to recommend to people like get a library card and go check out your local library because a lot of times, especially for stuff like this, where Ryan was saying, you know, streaming age, it's tough to find the stuff streaming. It, you know, there's a very good chance that your library might have this on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever. Like you might be able to find it, you know, easier than you think without having to like physically pay to to see it anywhere. So um, yeah, no just question. Seek that out. Uh, okay, last thing. Uh, I feel like we kind of have to end with this one, Ryan. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. I mean, like, you know, you, you can't have a, a list of sci-fi sequels without really talking about this. I'm not familiar entire... with this one. Could you could you, <laughs> could you, you sort of refresh me on this indie picture you're discussing? Yeah, I bet you're not familiar with it. Uh, <laughs> pra- practically the entire movie is like, iconic at this point. So I'm, I'm really not even going to talk about anything that... Um, <laughs> anything about the movie itself really I, I will say like i feel like this is probably neck and neck with t2 for potentially the most influential movie on this list i think t2 obviously changed the game in terms of what was possible for cg which then informed the next 30 plus years of blockbuster movies but um i i, I also can't tell you how many times i've heard filmmakers say oh, this project I'm working on is the Empire Strikes Back of this franchise, or we're taking inspiration from the Empire Strikes Back here, you know, that kind of thing. And I I sometimes wonder if that's actually a good thing or a bad thing. Like the idea of splitting up the characters into their own missions and storylines has become one of the lasting impacts and legacies of that movie. And as a viewer, 
I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I have complex feelings about that. I often find myself thinking that the real power of certain franchises like Guardians of the Galaxy and its sequel come to mind immediately uh, is the chemistry between the cast members. And then when you break them up and split them off, the movie I, I find sometimes loses a little bit of its spark. So in terms of like the, yeah, the legacy of Empire Strikes Back and like the fact that it was such a big deal to so many people at the time and like, you know, in an age long before sequels were like as gigantic as they are now and as prevalent as they are now, the idea of sort of like changing the tone of a franchise. So, you know, dialing, changing that dial so drastically um, between what, between movies. uh, I mean, it's just like, it's a legendary iconic piece of pop culture at this point, but like thinking about it in terms of its influence and, and, you know, what it has, has wrought in many ways in our pop culture landscape, um, I have like complex feelings about it. So what do you make of that part? Uh, that's interesting. I hadn't, you see, this is where you talk about like me being like a surface level viewer, which is something I say a lot to caution people against my analysis of something. Um, you saying that sounded really smart to me. And that sounds like the kind of thing that I think a lot of people would be like, that was obvious to me. And I'm like, well, yeah, this is all new for me to consider. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, but, but, but I mean, the one thing I will say to like an earlier point on your rant there is that like when you talk about to this day where like if someone's talking about um and again a lot of the dune 2 comparisons like i want to be the empire strikes back of this thing that is still the touch tone the staple the like the the top of the hill for this for a second installment of something Mm -hmm. um that's what everyone wants to be they don't often say the aliens of that thing or the terminator 2 of that thing like it's not nearly as frequent like this mm-hmm. is still, you know, in a in a franchise with some truly incredible movies. This is the one that stands tall. Um, and you know, the one thing I will say though is it's a movie that ends on a cliffhanger, right? Like it it it, it doesn't it it alone would not be satisfying. Like you would need to know something else was coming, um, which is interesting to me. Like it's it's this it's this it's it would sort of be like if people like held up the two towers a lot higher above the rest of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I know some people do, but not everyone does. And, 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 yeah. you know, like it, it, because it's not a complete thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing that always sticks out to me. Cause like Empire's not my favorite star Wars movie. I think it is unquestionably the quote unquote best, but it is not my personal favorite. So like, so I, I have interesting, I think the thing is I just watch empire and I'm like, it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. I love it. Like, and I don't even have complicated, like I don't have any complicated feelings about it like it's just it's just one of those things that is so deeply ingrained in my psyche it's hard to even analyze because it's like it's like a there's there's part of there's parts of it in my blood you know like it's just it's just been there since i've been alive Mm -hmm. um you know and and have you told me what your favorite star wars movie is have i I talk about this pretty frequently i'm return of the jedi is my favorite i okay yes i'm I'm a i am a big gargantuan return of the jedi defender um i will uh and I'm not like trying to be funny. I'm not like, I, it's not like, it's not like nostalgia that anchors me to it. I will, this is going to be a different conversation, but I, I will defend Return of the Jedi to the death. But, but I, I don't, I don't know if I can rightly say it's a better movie than Empire Strikes Back, but mm-hmm. I think it deserves to not be like knocked down a peg. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's my thing with Empire is that it's hard for me to even like, and I'm sure a lot of people have this relationship where it's like, I can't even. I, I haven't lived a day on this planet where not only has that movie not existed, it hasn't been a, it's been a part of my life ever since my eyes opened, you know, <laughs> like because of my mom indoctrinating me into star Wars at such a young age. And, and 
having the various VHS sets and, and burning them out to the point of like needing them replaced, you know, yes. like I, I did the, it, it is, I can't think about pop culture, the things I love, the career I'm in without like that movie coming to mind. So it's, tough. yeah. Um, okay. So before we go, are there any movies that you think, you know, maybe should be in this conversation of like favorite sci-fi sequels that we just didn't touch on here we only we decided beforehand that we just wanted to talk about six things um anything that like was just on the outside edge of of making your picks that you uh you left on the way you know by the wayside here yeah what we we talked a little bit about should we keep this to direct like number two sequels and we opted not to which is where conquest of the planet of the apes came in if i hadn't talked about conquest of the planet of the apes and this is where i'm going to lose some people i was actually going to talk about the lost world jurassic park uh which is a movie which is a movie that i think is is there is one glaring huge problem with that movie that I, you know, it is addressed by something that could have been in like an, a cut scene or whatever, which is where, how did all the people die on the boat? And it doesn't make any sense that the T-Rex would have done it. It was supposed to be a velociraptor that got on the boat, blah, blah, blah. That aside, I think mm-hmm. The Lost World is much better than its reputation suggests. It's a movie that I love. It has one of my favorite scenes in all of Jurassic Park in it. Uh, I would implore people to uh, maybe give that movie another shake if they're feeling a little jaded by uh, some of the Jurassic World films. I think The Lost World will reward you a little bit. Uh, in okay. What about uh, you, anything Matthew? else? Well, I, I have a couple here. Was there anything else on your on your uh, no? Like, that you was know, the top big of one. your head list. Okay, that was the big one that stood out for me. I just wrote down uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which like I, I feel like should be part of this conversation, even though I don't love that movie as much as a lot of other people do. Um, I'm much more interested in like how that that movie came to be than like the final product of it, uh, even though it, it is like undeniably. Uh, kind of a, an amazing like uh, piece of yeah, filmmaking. Well, so. I will actually say, because Mad Max was another one me and my buddy did, and the first two, the original Mad Max and, and Road Warrior are both very good as well. Um, yep. If anyone hasn't ever seen the older ones, I would implore you to check those out. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes came up in my, you know, uh, edging out kind of like very, I was, as I was narrowing things down and then I saw that you put Conquest on here. So I, I figured I would leave that off, but the Matt Reeves, uh, way that the, that he sort of escalated that most recent trilogy, I thought was really exceptional. Um, Blade Runner 2049, I think has, uh, you know, did not perform super well at the box office when it came out, but I think has a really strong reputation and is probably going to end up being, you know, very much like a cult piece in you know, akin to the original where people are going to be discovering that movie for years and being like, Hey, this thing is actually like pretty amazing. So good uh, looking movie. Yeah, definitely. And then um, back to the future, uh, not only part two, which is like obviously uh, more sci-fi, but I I think part three, which is like obviously a a Western and does not really have nearly as much sci-fi stuff in it, but I think it's, it has enough sci-fi stuff in it to technically qualify for a list like this. Well, It's inherently sci-fi. Yeah, definitely. And then also like, and, and the end too, with the, with the train and everything, like the time traveling train and all that. And then I just feel like it, it gains uh, a little bit of extra, um, I don't know, extra points in my mind for being kind of like a gateway to Western appreciation too. Like it helps you sort of understand and uh, like tropes of an entirely different genre. And I, I want to say that Back to the Future Part 3 is probably the first Western I ever saw, you know, when I was a kid. And then uh, like- Probably uh, for me too, yeah. Like it was- Yeah, a, so and, then and, like- And come on, anytime you get to use the words time traveling train, you've done something right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I know a lot of people don't really like that movie very much, um, but I-, I I'm a big fan of part three. So I just wanted to get that. As I am as well. Too, I'll so. back you up on that for sure. 
Cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. So thanks for uh, helping me salvage this episode, Ryan. I was, man, I was so excited about like my leap day plans and maybe yeah, I'll save them. Do you want to spoil for... what, you know, maybe we spoil, yeah, like, well, we, I guess four years from now we could do it again. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe, maybe I'll save them for four years from now um, and, and use one as a backup to the other or something in case, uh, in case they fall through like they did this year. But um, anyway, we'll stay tuned for that. Come back in, uh, what was that? 2028. And, um, and maybe uh, my, my plans will finally come to fruition. Um, in the meantime, that's going to do it for the end uh, or, or for today's episode of the show. Uh, you can find more about a lot of the movies that we mentioned on the show at slashfilm.com. Uh, we'll link to a few things in the show notes as well. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes too. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. It helps us put, you know, get us uh, put in front of new listeners, new audiences and all that. Uh, Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you all tomorrow.